Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome back to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, well, not as always, sometimes when we're all on the same show. I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Um, you know, whether it's Jordan going on vacation to Disney World, whether it's, you know, Nick taking a couple days off, or it's me just disappearing for a month, it's nice, it's nice to have the nice to have the crew back. Uh gentlemen, how are we doing? We have Thanksgiving coming up, uh, a bunch of jive turkeys running around. How are we feeling? Yeah, it was a little little bittersweet when Nick was like, oh, we should do a podcast this week. Because like, great, we can all get on the same show and kind of do the main three doing it again. And that was always fun. But it's like, oh, I got to talk about the White Sox, though. So it's a that's the bittersweet piece of it. I'm doing good, but and, and looking forward to Thanksgiving and all that comes with it. But let's talk about this team, I guess. Yeah, I felt bad missing the last one. I was on a on a work trip. That was kind of last minute. But the reason I, I mean, I think we all agreed that this was a good time to do another one with the trade that just happened and all the other rumors coming out. But this honestly is the first time that I felt any motivation to talk and or write about the White Sox in a couple of months, probably. Like, I don't think I've written an article in two months. So I don't know if that's a good or bad, but I'm actually excited for this discussion. And that's a positive, I would think. I will say I am writing articles again, which is fun because I kind of had the same thing where just for quite a few months, I wasn't interested in writing about the team at all so it is a nice change of pace i do agree there i just really really want to bring this up because they just announced who is going to be making the hall of fame ballot this season and i just want to make a point to say that there's a pitcher on here with a career 59.1 war over 200 wins over 3,000 innings innings pitched he has a no hitter he has a perfect game and he has a world series ring and he's the He's only the third pitcher to ever do that, joined by Cy Young and Sonny Koufax to do that with the same team. Um, Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer. I'm going to make that very clear. Um, I'll argue anybody about that. And if Hall of Fame voters want to continue to be petty, that's their choice. Mark Burley didn't throw you know, high 90s heat. He, did, he wasn't a strikeout merchant by any stretch of the imagination. But this guy had 10 wins every single full season as a starter. He was always one of the most dependable defenders on the mound, you know, as evidenced by his gold gloves. One of the best pitchers that I've seen in my lifetime, and it was all done with grit. And we need more of that in the Hall of Fame. You know, home run numbers are great. Strikeout numbers are great. Wins are great. Even though as time goes on, wins continue to be a little devalued. Mark Burley's a Hall of Famer, and I will battle anybody on that stance. Really don't have an argument I plan to hear otherwise. But anyway, we've quite a bit to cover in this episode. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website, Socks on 35th, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Socks on 35th. I know the Instagram is always popping off. A lot of good content over there. Be sure to check out anything we're doing over at Socks on 35th. Jordan, we have over and over and over teased the Aaron Bummer discussion that we were going to have. We were going to have this huge argument. We were going to talk about how Aaron Bummer was good, how Aaron Bummer was bad. Well, mainly I was going to talk about how he was bad and you were going to attempt to talk about how he was good. But obviously the first big trade really of, uh, of the Chris gets uh, the Chris gets regiment here, uh, Aaron Bummer being traded to the Atlanta Braves. 
um, in a fair, fairly large deal, you know, when you consider, you know, what Aaron Bummer's, you know, value probably to most White Sox fans is, um, you know, getting <laughs> Nicky Lopez, which I think I, I, it almost feels like a meme that we got Nicky Lopez out of this, no disrespect, but like, it always felt like at some point he was going to play for the White Sox. Um, Michael, Michael Sorka, uh, Jared Schuster, Brandon Shoemake and Riley Goins. Um, there's a couple names in here that are kind of interesting that we can get into here a little bit. Um, Jordan, I, I'm just going to let you take the floor. How do you feel about the Aaron Bummer trade? I'm going to turn it around real quick. And I'm going to start with you guys to figure out kind of where the general vibe of this one is. Sox on 35th put out a poll asking fans to grade the Aaron Bummer decision. Where did you two fall on that? A through F. I think I gave that a D, if I remember correctly. All right. Duke? I I give it an A, and I have a lot of reasons why. All right, let's start with that. Let's 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 let then let's go to you and figure out why this could possibly be an A trade. Um, because with where and Bummer was with his contract on a team that really doesn't like to spend money. Um, you're trading away a player who is in the bottom percentile and walk percentage, bottom percentile and a hard hit percentage. Um, he was allowing almost 300 on ground balls that made it outside of the infield. Um, on plays that actually were made in the infield, I think he was only allowing a 155 batting average. Uh, there's there's quite a bit to go on here. You know, I think the argument that you know the defense behind him wasn't great. Aaron Bummer made a lot of his. He, he was his own worst enemy in a lot of different ways. While I think the defense could have been better behind him, um, a high-priced reliever with, it, where we're, with where we're at right now, um, I'd much rather take a chance on arms that could potentially be long-term pieces. Um, I think even if Aaron Bummer would have pitched well this season, I don't think he was a long-term piece. I don't think he was long for this team. Um, we, we've just seen too many situations in both medium and high leverage, you know, and the stats back that up, that he just flat-out wasn't producing what we needed him to produce. Um, you know, the fact that your hard hit percentage is higher than Patrick Corbin, who has absolutely fallen off a cliff as a, as a pitcher, that's that's brutal. You know, I, I don't care who who's who's defending that, you know, especially even when you have a Luis Robert in center field. That's that's a tough one. I don't, um, and uh, I don't think anyone's defending that stuff, though. I'm, I, I'm I not think saying anyone's argument, defending it. I'm just making my argument here. I, I but I don't know why that warrants an a though that that warrants i understand getting rid of him i feel like that's an inconsistent argument with sort of like the tim anderson stuff where it's like oh he'll bounce back and it's like well why couldn't aaron bummer bounce back but that's a different story i i don't think rebuilding teams need relievers but i don't i don't think just the fact that they traded him warrants an a that wasn't a good package personally no it's it's not completely on the idea that we just got rid of him um i i think with where we're at as a roster and at least my reading on what the White Sox are doing is we're just trying to get some fresh players in here to kind of see if we can find some, you know, kind of diamonds in the rough in essence. And I think we even saw that towards the end of the Rick Hahn era at, with the trades that he was making. He was trying to find these former first round picks, former highly touted prospects, all that different type of thing. Sure. Um, and, you know, a guy in this trade, I think that sticks out to me more than the rest of them, you know, because everyone brings up Nicky Lopez. And by the way, Nicky Lopez, welcome home. That White Sox picture of you as a kid was awesome. But like, you know, I, I don't I don't uh, Nicky Lopez isn't the sweetener in this deal. Um, I really think what we were heading for was uh, 
it was Michael uh, Sorica. I hope I'm saying his name right. I apologize. I know I butcher names all the time on this podcast, and it probably drives our editing team crazy. But this, you know, this is a guy that before injury was a very, very promising prospect. And obviously, you know, it seems like the White Sox are notorious for getting players after injury. Um, if we can even get a similar bounce back to what he was before injury, um, I, I think that can be the sneaky good part of this deal. Unfortunately, he cured service time while he was injured. So that kind of hurts that deal a little bit. It doesn't make it really feel like too much of a long term. But um, he looked pretty good in AAA last season. He, he showed a little bit of what he had. Um, could potentially, you know, on a, on a team that has like no starters at this point, um, especially with the Dylan Cease trade rumors that are kind of swirling around. I think he's a guy that you can bring into spring training and kind of, you know, get a good look at him, you know, see what he can do as a bottom end, bottom end pitcher. If he shows promising results and doesn't price himself out of us, you know, maybe it's a guy that we can bring back and we could potentially try to, you know, formulate some solid starters in the lot in the rotation again. He's the one that really sticks out to me. Um, the other guy we got Schuster. Um, he's got a nasty fastball. I, I, I really like the idea of that. Um, and that no, he doesn't. It's not a good fastball. It's an average at best fastball. Schuster? This entire package, really, Schuster, it throws like 93 at max. He does not have a good fastball. That's average. I think it at used best. to be good. And then last it year it fell good. off. It was basically yeah. what happened. And that's a concern to me as well. If you're looking at this package, you had a great fastball. I think even halfway through 2022, he was striking out like 11 hitters per nine innings. like, And then all of a sudden, he got promoted to AAA halfway through 2022, lost the strikeouts, and it hasn't come back. And it's probably lost the fastball as well. They don't have great minor league number tra- or tracking in that instance. But I, I'm not overwhelmed by Schuster. I think Soroka, you're absolutely right in that that's a decent one-year deal. You almost hope that's Giolito, that you can turn around for him, turn him around for a top 100 prospect. That's the oh. hope. I want to know who I'm thinking of then, because I could have swore Schuster from what I read up on him. He's a guy that a lot of people are pretty, pretty high on his movement on his People fastball. seem to be like, high on him because he's a former first rounder. I think, I don't think you're wrong in saying that people are high on him for being a first rounder. I just. Oh, I was thinking of Gowans. I apologize. Gowans, Gowans, Gowans has gas. That's, that's, that is my. Okay. Gowans. So yeah, Gowans. Yeah. Yeah. But he's 23 in high A or low A. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I sound like complete artist scumbag. Another guy who is uh, returning to the state where he went to college as well. So, but I mean, that's, that's potential back end reliever stuff. Then I think that's what they're looking at. Obviously that's going to be more of a, more of a hopefully pans out type of guy. So I'm, but I'm still looking for what makes this an a trade. I mean, it, again, it feels like for a lot of, and this is not just, this is not you Duke for a lot of Sox fans. The sole fact of getting rid of Bummer was enough to give Warren an A. And that's just not the way to think about it. This was a top 10 reliever in baseball the past three, four years outside of this year. So, so the idea that a, a bunch of players, two of which, Lopez and Soroka, were planning to be DFA'd. They were going, or they were not going to tender these guys' contracts. They were going to DFA him. Shoemake is a utility defense only guy. Lopez is utility defense only guy, one of the best, but still utility defense guy. And Goins is a wild card. Where's that become an A? I don't know. Well, I think in almost Jordan to kind of build off that, it doesn't really matter, in my opinion, whether you think Aaron Bummer isn't good or not. 
at least in this context, I think what matters is that he has trade value because clearly, I mean, in the, at the trade deadline in July, there was like a bidding war for him. Obviously, he didn't get traded and the Braves were the only, only team interested in him here. He got traded to them, but, you know, there were other teams in. And on his contract, it was maligned at one point, but still obviously teams see it as an asset. So I think it's not so much a matter of, you know, is Aaron Bummer good or not? It's he had trade value. So what is the value of the return? And I'm kind of, with you for the most part, the one thing I want to add before uh, we go back to Duke is that on Soroka, I, I totally like that probably is my favorite piece of the trade just because of the upside. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy who's thrown 45 innings in the last four years. Like the over under on innings pitch for him on the White Sox next year is probably like 150. Maybe. Oh, yeah. 50. Like, like, yeah. Maybe somewhere it's, in between. It's, it's low. Yeah. It's, it's low is my point. And I would, I would love for him to hit it, but. I mean, everyone's saying, oh, back when he, like, recaptured part of when he was good. It's like, that was 2019. That was pre-pandemic. Like, we're arguing about whether or not Tim Anderson could bounce back after a rough season and a half. I'm trying to make an argument that, hey, you know, I'm not saying trading Aaron Bunnemore was bad. I'm saying, you know, maybe hold on to him till the deadline, see if Bannister's new new ideas kind of help, and maybe reclaim some of that lost value. Because he was a... Top t- like there are statistics that will make him a top 10 re- reliever in baseball over the past four years. And you just gave that away because of one objectively bad season with three years still of control. And it's only five and a half million. You saw what Ronaldo Lopez got today, 11 million or excuse me, 10 million on average. It's like relievers aren't cheap. So I, I just, I gave it. I personally gave it a C, just so we're clear. I just said it is what it is. So, I would. I would just genuine, like genuinely, like to see what other teams were willing to offer for him. I guess. That's I guess that's my point. only thing because you know I I've heard about these bidding wars. I've heard about the amount of valuation that he might have, and you know obviously we're gonna see a little bit more of that. And obviously, I think we as fans always naturally have a little bit of a either overvaluing or undervaluing our assets compared to how other teams might see him. But I mean, I, you know, with what I was outlining earlier, you know, it's, it's not that he's been bad over the course of his entire career. Last season was, I, 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 I'm going to argue with you there, Jordan. I just think it was terrible. I think it was a terrible. Yeah, season I said I 2023 was objectively I, bad, but 2020 or 2019 through 2022, he was objectively a top 10 reliever in baseball by the same objectivity that makes him bad this year. But the thing with him, him even being good was a lot of the trends that made him bad this season were still trends he was having before they were just amplified this season. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of hard hit percentage, very low, very low percentile when it comes to walk percentage, which means he's one of the highest walking relievers in baseball. That's tough, man. Like you could, you could check off every other thing, every, everything in the box, man, when you're a reliever and they want you to pitch back end walks are it's like a no, no man. And that's, that's just a tough, th- that's a tough hurdle to get over. You know, if, if somebody could make a polarizing like offer or argument that Aaron Bummer was getting better value from other teams really at any point in the last year, I, I, I would be completely open ears to it. But like this is a guy who I believe is going to be entering his uh, age 31 season, this upcoming season, his, his velocity took a tick this year. Um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hard hit baseballs and a lot of them that 
were just completely smacked off the bat. And it's not even that they went high, which, you know, obviously being a ground ball pitcher, that's something you want, but you also want velocity to be taken off those baseballs because it just makes it a little easier for your infield. And, you know, I think, I, I think we're going to see that because Atlanta objectively has a great infield, you know, not even objectively. Um, I think we're going to see if this defense argument really, really holds water because, Baseball, baseball savant is not kind to Aaron Bummer. Just, just, and and I don't think it's just a defense argument. It, it's definitely a part of it. There's something to be said of just regressing back to the mean in, in terms of batting average on balls in play. But also, if you look at it a little bit o- over the years, he slowly dropped his arm slot. It slowly made his stuff less effective. As a result. I guarantee you the Braves take a look at him and like, all right, he's got this great slider, pretty decent sinker, but it was it was all really good, but it's been better in terms of the actual stuff behind it. When the arm slot, slot was a bit higher, I guarantee they go in, see that, make a small tweak or two, and then all of a sudden, some of those line drives become ground balls again because the sinker's diving a little bit more. It's going to take small changes, and it's... It's going to be something where now they technically have three years of control on him. And you really didn't get much there that you can really pin your hat on and say, yep, that's why this was the right move. And even right after that trade, people came out and I I think it was Jesse Rogers or someone like that. You know, hey, teams were very interested in Aaron Bummer. The fact that that kept coming out made me wonder, like, if, if there were other offers on the table and this is the one gets took, I don't love that personally. That's why I gave it gave it a D personally is because it's really the difference between Getz and like a, a Rick Hahn regime in that Hahn would have traded Bummer for like one top 100 prospect and a couple of throw ones. Getz traded him for five players. But I mean, looking at it as objectively as possible, I don't think any of those five players are going to be long-term impact pieces for the White Sox. Like, sure, maybe the 24-year-old single-A reliever ends up having an impact, you know, three years from now. Or maybe Nicky Lopez sticks around for three years as like a utility infielder. But none of the players they acquired are particularly safe, other than Shoemake, whose safety is that he's like a Yolbert Sanchez type, but maybe a little bit better of a hitter. So right, we just it, got just rid like, of Brandon yeah. Shoemake and brought him back in. Yeah, right. And like, I'd rather play Lenin Sosa or like Popeye Rodriguez over over Shoemaker if it comes to that the major league level. So that that's my issue with it. It's just, you've got five players, but I, all I needed was one where I feel really confident in him or even somewhat confident. And Soroka could have been that guy if he didn't have all these injury question marks. Otherwise, I don't know who that would be. Right. And I mean, I, this is not a knock on each of these players. They have their own role on a team. But when you're looking at the White Sox who are trying to get out of the middle ground that they're in right now, none of these players move them closer towards contention. And the entire narrative was, oh, they got five guys. They got five guys. Oh my gosh, where were you when Aaron Bummer was traded for five players? It's take a second to stop and think why it took five players to do it. It's because there was none, like you're saying, Nick, there was none that you can really pin and say, yep, that is the one that Chris Getz was targeting. Maybe it's Soroka, maybe it's Schuster. If you asked three different people in the comments, there were three different opinions on who the headliner was in this deal. That's never a good sign. And I think when you're looking at a cost-controlled reliever being traded to a good baseball team, you have to sit back and ask the question, 
why did they give us essentially what amounts to nothing? Because two of them you could have gotten for free after the non-tender deadline. Two of them, excuse me, one of the other ones is a utility player. One is a former first rounder and one is a throw-in. That, it's a different strategy to your point, Nick, on gets. And if it's the strategy that's going to be deployed when Don Cease gets traded or Eloy Jimenez gets traded, I'm a tad bit concerned is kind of my overarching point on that. I, I just, I really, I just really don't see a lot of the value in it, I guess, as, as far as like expecting this trade package for Aaron Bummer. I mean, this is a guy who gave up a 638 batting average to hits in the outfield. I mean, everybody does this that. Line drives that get gave hit up hard. A, 458 average in opposite field opposite field again hit hard there's a 444 guy that gave up but again this is the, this is the whole batters. argument this is the same thing we were doing with tim anderson it, it was the argument was well we should pick up tim anderson tim anderson's option because look at who tim anderson has been in the past he is going to bounce back to that now we say oh we don't pick him aaron bummer up because he sucks well all you have to do is look a year back, just like Anderson. The difference there was $14 million versus $5.5 million for me, personally. You look at all of that, it's like, yes, again, objectively, 2023 was a bad season. But Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly got you Nick Nostrini and Jordan Leisure. Teams don't just look at the statistics on the field when they're picking up a player. And if they did, the Braves certainly wouldn't have been the team that traded for Aaron Bummer. Like they, they look beyond the scope of the statistics on the field and say, yep, there is more to a pitcher than that. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes Lance Lynn is still Lance Lynn and you can't fix that, but you can understand why teams do it. And you need to, you need to have an understanding of that additional layer behind the on field statistics to understand. Now you arm yourself going into negotiation say, no, well, you know, just because of this on the field, you know, there's this and this. It doesn't feel like this was a trade package where you armed yourself with anything other than saying, here's a salary dump and let's go. I just I think it's a salary dump of a guy who just flat out didn't pitch to his contract. And with the Tim Anderson point, even that's 19 and a half million off the books. Right. But you were you were saying we should pick up Tim Anderson's option despite how he how bad he was last year to trade him. Because I, because I think the val- he's he's going to get signed. He's going to get signed to a pretty solid deal, I think. And it, it was more to keep him to trade him at the deadline because the team was eventually going to want him. We could have traded him at the last deadline. There, a team right. really grabbed him. Like it's that that was my biggest issue with the entire thing. What what are we trading Aaron Bummer for at the deadline if he continues? on the rate that he is in 2023 into the exact same package. You got it. This right now, we are almost at the point. If you have a, if you have a reliever that's almost at, at seven ERA that's has a high batting average allowed. And I know batting average ERA aren't things that are necessarily taken too far into account these days. They're both just brutal, man. You can't have that on the back end of your bullpen. It's not like Aaron Bummer can pitch multiple innings. It's the only logical spot to have Dude, him is for an inning here or there. I am agreeing with you. But at the end of the day, the answer to your question of what could they have gotten if he was this bad, probably the exact same package they just got. That's the point. There was no point in just dumping him now. If you were going to take a bunch of nothing, essentially, that helps this team long term, it absolutely fills holes right now. It gives them some depth. This team doesn't need depth. They need good players. 
it doesn't help them now. It doesn't help them in the future to make this trade. May, you have to hope then he bounces back and you can trade him at the deadline at something better. If not, yeah, just dump him for this exact same package. Like, you could have gotten this. You could have gotten Sorokin Lopez when they were non-tendered, and that leaves Shoemaker, Schuster, and Goins. You could probably get that package if Bummer is this bad at this year's deadline. That's the problem with this whole trade, in my opinion. Well, and I could just I could turn that right back around into Tim Anderson. Even if Tim Anderson played bad at the deadline, it would be better than getting nothing for him. It's and 14 million versus nothing. five and a half million. That's the difference in the numbers for me. Maybe that's not necessarily but we, consistent. But we would but still be able to, we would still be able to get a return for him compared to what we, what we got. You know, I don't true. give a shit about Jerry Ryan's spending money personally. Like that's, I that's do really because it me. means he can't spend $14 million elsewhere on a team that needs to spend a lot of money to be very good anytime soon. Well, 14 million is a little different. Now than he has another extra five and a half million to be able to do it. Okay. I don't know what the five and a half million is going to get. It's going to get you another reliever. It's going to get you Aaron Bummer's replacement is what it's going to get you. I will take Aaron Bummer's replacement over Aaron Bummer at this point. I, so and I, I, that's why you gave it an A. And that's why you gave it an A. And that's fine, but I don't get the logic. And a lot of Sox fans were just like addition by subtraction. It's like, no, you have to take a step back. Teams don't just trade players to get rid of like salary dump trades are not good ideas. Because with player development, someone is going to just pick them up for free, and there is a good chance you look like an idiot. You might not. You might. It might turn into the Lance Lynn scenario with the Dodgers. But you understood why they did it at the time. This, I 100% understand what the Do- or the Braves are doing. Raise the arm slot a bit. Fix a, a little bit of the mechanics side of things. He's going to be back to routine form. And I'll, I'll gladly admit if I'm wrong, what, six, nine months from now. In terms we will of all let you, we will all, very and I, much I you know, know you'll right. let me know, but if it is the flip side, I will certainly not hesitate to let you know at the same time. By all means, like I, <laughs> if, if my biggest worry heading into 2024 is Aaron Bummer turning into a great reliever, like I'm going to sleep like a baby. Now. <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of other problems with this team. Uh, we can absolutely agree there. And honestly, not to, not to open a whole other can of worms, but Jordan, I, I'm, I'm mostly sided with you here, but the whole the mechanics, the arm slot thing, I agree with that. And again, maybe this is too much of a That's just an chain. opinion thing. No, no, of course. But but then my follow-up is you are a big Ethan Katz guy. Why has he not identified that? I that I I and I thought about that and I've long thought about them like I don't know. But an Ethan Katz truther has to be an Ethan Katz truther regardless. Narratives over anything else. I'm totally joking. It's a great question though. But it's different philosophies. Teams have I, I think my answer to that, honestly, would be they prioritize the movement on his sweeper. I mean, the thought of a sweeper, you have to get kind of, this is all technical talk, so I apologize for people. You kind of have to get on the side of it, and that's easier to do lower down. It's almost like they prioritized that pitch, but let the sinker slowly lose effectiveness, and then, like, he didn't throw his sweeper enough. Like, if you're going to make that your best pitch, throw it more often. Like that, that's what it comes down to. That's what all teams do. They find the team player's best pitch. They throw that 70% of the time. The Sox didn't do that. So I guess there's two schools of thought. Either raise the arm slot, help the sinker, or just lean into being 70% sweepers and see what happens. Um, but that that is a very valid question, to, or Nick, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, arm angles, you know, lowering this career hard hit percentage of 414 
there's a lot of different ways you can you can tackle it. You know, I, I just I I hate that you're the host because you always get the last word in. You're absolutely right. <laughs> even though you uh, make it a battle for me sometimes. But all right, Aaron Bummer trade A plus across the board. Moving on. Um, so these di- <laughs> you're awful. You are terrible. <laughs> it's all right, dude. You can you can give me hell for the fact that uh, I said Schuster had a good fastball, so it's fine. I, I definitely got my pass. Nah, I've I've done worse. I I got I got my pass crossed on that 100%. And I can definitely I can eat the big old L after this just big old Aaron Bummer. Dive I forgot. Stuff, so. I, I'm going to ignore that comment and say I have forgotten parts of this trade every time I've written about it. So that that is completely fair. I'm like, who's the fifth guy? And then I remember him one time and then forget a different. It's like, oh, my God. But anyway. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, it was a coming home trade. I Everyone talks about Nicky Lopez, but uh, our boy from Illinois with the gas that'll probably never make the majors. I'm, I'm probably going to have his jersey at some point. So looking forward to that. Um, speaking of trades though, I feel like this is a pretty good time to get into some of the big trade rumors that we've had moving around. And that is with our boy Dylan Cease. Um, you know, this is for me personally, Jordan, I know you're a big Dylan Cease guy, so you definitely understand where I'm coming from with this as a guy who has defended Dylan Cease essentially since he's been on the roster, like to the absolute end of the earth. Like I have been, I've, I've gone in the freaking mud for Dylan Cease. It hurts so much to hear that we are in 2023 heading into 2024 and we're already talking about trading him. Where are we thinking, you know, obviously Bob Nightingale is reporting the Dodgers. Um, I feel like Dodgers are in every big trade discussion though. So that's, that's always kind of like just white noise to me. What are, what are some destinations for Dylan Cease? What do you, what does your package look like as far as what you want out of that trade? Um, and what do you think is kind of the tipping point of, we should just keep cease if this is what's being put on the table. Yeah, from from a value standpoint, it's pretty interesting because you're talking about someone that has two years of control. Unlike everyone uses Chris Sale as the example, Chris Sale was three years at the time, and it was more cost controlled because he was signed to a contract rather than you know arbitration. And since that Chris Sale trade, teams have started kind of prospect hugging, for lack of a better term, a lot more. And in the sense that they don't trade their like top, top guys as freely as they once did. So that works against the White Sox. But at the same time, this particular market, I feel like, is pretty bad when it comes to available pitching. Unless you're willing to pay for like uh, Yamamoto or Otani. I don't know. Otani's not even pitching. But when he does, Otani. So it makes a lot of sense. To, to trade for him. I just don't think you're going to get like a Chris Sale package. I think it'll be something close to it. I actually thought Jordan did a really good job on his um, like Dylan Cease like 10 trades article that came out today in terms of being realistic about what the White Sox would get back and that it had a lot of, you know, big name prospects, but it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like White Sox Twitter thinking we're getting Jackson Holiday from the Orioles, which that would be my, my preference if that were a real option, but it's not. So... <clears throat> I just think, yeah, Dodgers make a lot of sense because they have so many different ways they could structure it. I don't love, everyone wants like Dalton rushing from the Dodgers. I don't really know if I want him because he's kind of like a catcher first base mix and we just got a catcher and with our top trade chip like a few months ago. So do we really need two top 50 catchers? Um, But overall, yeah, like Dodgers, Orioles, D-backs, I think all make a lot of sense because they all, A, need starting pitching and B, have the, the ammo to to go for it so it just kind of depends on who really steps up but what i would love for the Sox to do is to really target a package where you're getting a good mix of pitching and offense i feel like chris gets has said a lot about like pitching 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 
and that's great and all, but I personally really don't like our position player stable outside of like Montgomery and like Lewis Robert, the obvious guy, and Edgar Carroll. So I just want to see some balance pr- pretty much. And that's that's all I have for now because it'll really depend on what teams really get active in the talks. Yeah, the, the balance is an important part because you, you basically lined it out. You have a foreseeable future at like four out of nine positions, and that's really about it. I, I feel like the Sox have this problem, and I may have mentioned it before, where it's like for years when they were competing or attempting to compete, like they were always missing depth. And, but they had the players who were going to play every day, conceivably. Now they have a ton of depth. And they have none of that front-end talent. Like, Nestrini might get there. He's probably a two at best. So as you kind of go down that line, it's like, eh, they really didn't get any of that top-shelf talent. Get at least one of those in in terms of trade. And I think, as I went through that article, the precedent is there. Guys with two years of control, pretty decent comparison numbers. Luis Castillo, Jose Barrios are two of them. I think those are targets where you say, hey, can we possibly get like a top 25-ish prospect in baseball right now? Maybe. Depend, it's The back end of that deal is not going to look very good, let me tell you. But the front end, it's like, what What are you prioritizing? Like, Are you going to say, hey, I want a top 25, 30 guy, and then I can accept there's not going to be much on the back end? Or maybe guy in the 40s, guy in the 90s, and then it's like, it, it, it will all depend on what gets wants to target and i feel like that's why to, to briefly get back to the bummer thing kind of like what's his strategy for trades guys tend to even though not every trade is the same some guys tend to trade the same way i don't want him to approach this in terms of a bulk deal where they take i think the frankie montas trade with the athletics is a good one if you remember that the athletics just took a bunch of guys and got no top 100 prospects um, I don't want that to be the case here. I, I think that would be underselling the talent far too much, especially when you could sell him at the trade deadline and hope he recoups some of it. Yeah, I guess I guess really where I stand with it is I feel like with with where we're at as an organization, if we're going to be trading a top like a top level guy like Dylan Cease, who you can make an argument top well top two player in the entire organization, if we're being honest, it's him and Luis Robert. Those are our two. That's not saying much, there. but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Cole Montgomery is about as untouchable as like you can get at this point, especially with where this team is headed. Um, I really feel like, you know, and something you just brought up, Jordan is maybe the back end of a trade, not lo- looking as good. If you're, if you're able to get one of those top prospects, either in an organization or even one of the top prospects in baseball, I feel like that would be a little bit easier to buy into because then you really start feeling strong about like what the future of the white Sox can be. It's like, okay, so we're not going to be good for like a couple of years, but like the, the young, like we're building another young core. And that was like, what was big about the Chris sale trade in the first place. Like, I, I don't know anybody who can honestly say when that trade went down that they were happy that we traded Chris Sale. You know, I, I don't give a shit how many uniforms that Chris Sale cut. We all loved Chris Sale. And if you didn't, there, there was probably something maybe maybe psychologically wrong in your brain. I don't know. Um, he was an awesome player. He was like just this like very quiet, like quiet guy that just went to the mountain and did it every day. And that's that's kind of what you loved. And even with the guys that we ended up getting, obviously that trade hasn't totally panned out as far as like you know we've seen flashes for both Kopech and Mankata but like 
it's that's a discussion for another day. Um, we were all really excited about the idea of having Michael Kopech and Yoan Makata for the long term. You know, we knew with the Chris Sale trade, it's like, well, there's the tower. The tower just fell, but we're going to be able to rebuild it and build a core that we can actually feel really excited about. And I feel like with the cease trade, you can't go out there and just get, you know, a, a, a boatload of prospects for the sake of getting right, prospects. But I, I worry that because of how the, I mean, the Quintana trade didn't necessarily go bad. How the sale trade in particular went. I worry that Chris Getz is going to come in and say, no, we're going to go for that bulk option. And we're going to say, we're not going to put all the chips in on one player, like a Jordan Lawler, or again, pick your favorite top 25 prospect. That That's kind of that idea. I worry, and it's the same thing with Eloy, and it's the same thing for the trend for this overall team. I think this conversation builds it all in well. I worry about how Chris Getz feels like he's going to build this team. Does he feel like he's going to do it a bunch of close to major league ready guys that probably aren't those top talents, but fill the roster and we can say this thing's competing. And it's like, yeah, is it really? Or do you have to kind of say what you're saying? Wait that little bit for those top talent guys. And you just better hope they work out better than Moncada and Kopech have so far and how Eloy has so far and things like that. Well, you know, and I think even with that, like, cause that's a really good point. Um, that's, that's what kind of scares me with where Getz's background is from the organization. You know, he's a developmental guy. He's a guy who could probably look at a lot of these former top prospects and be like, oh yeah, I can get, I can get a player out of that. You know, that, that's just kind of the natural mindset when you, when you're in that top level position on a minor league, minor league ball club, you know, whether or not he was top level with the Chicago White Sox, you, you get what I'm saying? So like, I, I agree with you. And that even plays into like the last point, even though I will defend the Aaron Bummer trade, um, that, you know, getting just a bunch of players for a player isn't necessarily what I want with every single one of my trades, you know, especially with a guy like Dylan Cease, like you need to be able to get someone that this fan base can sink their teeth into that this rest of this team can sink their teeth into, like get somebody that Colts Montgomery is going to be really freaking excited to play with. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the type of trade you need to make because like you could make that counter argument with the Chris sale trade that like, Oh, well that didn't work out too great. Chris sale won a world series and we're stuck holding the bag, you know, or you could look at the Eloy trade, which I'll defend every day and twice on Sunday because we, we robbed the Cubs. I, I, I don't care. I will, I will, I will argue. I will a hundred percent argue that. Um, you can't stop trying. You cannot be scared because of that. Not working. And, in the and past. I don't think it's scared so much as it's, the worry that he's going to say this didn't work. So I'm going to try doing it this way. And this didn't work for X, Y, Z reasons. Like, and again, one trade fits all isn't exactly the thing, but you could tell how Rick Hunt operated the top tier guys. Even when he traded Giolito away, there was one guy in Caro that they were really going after with the bummer trade. It's his first one. So we don't really know, but is that his strategy to take a whole bunch of guys and, and see what makes it work to kind of, fill up the system like again you don't want one trade to be the one that you say yes this is definitely how he's going to do it i think the cease trade will absolutely say a lot and i think the cease trade will say a lot about the eloy trade that sorry duke is probably upcoming at at some point um how do they attack those because those are higher level value players cease and eloy it goes cease eloy bummer probably in that order you should 
you should treat those packages a little bit differently than you did the bummer one. My worry is he doesn't. I mean, it's really not a terrible strategy. I mean, depending on exactly who the players are, of course. If you're talking about a, a Cease or Aloy Jimenez trade, you know, a hypothetical one in the near future, getting a bunch of players back isn't necessarily bad as long as it's not like the bravest one where you're getting guys that are about to cut anyway and like a couple of throw-ins. Like if you're, if you're getting a top 100 prospect or two, as well as a lot of guys who are ranked really well in the system, maybe they're not top 100, but they're like top 10 prospects in the White Sox system, for example, that's fine if you're getting a, a lot of guys. I actually wouldn't hate to see that. I don't think the team needs depth. I think they need stars, like Jordan said earlier. But at the same time, if you're getting guys who are in like double A, I, I kind of like that strategy, depending on who the players are. For me, it'll all just come down to who are the types of players they acquire. You know, are they acquiring a bunch of Nicky Lopez clones like they seem to love, like, you know, the slap hitting good defender? Or are they going after more high ceiling, high impact types? That's what it'll come down to for me, because so far it seems like these new you know new executives have a type and that type is basically the type of player that pedro Grifol likes which is not necessarily a player that i really like that much so that's kind of what i'm i'm looking for and that's where i think it's a completely valid concern because you, you even look at a guy like marcus timms who came from the angels and was very much on the power heavy train like hey we're going to do this we're going to be about hitting home runs and swinging at strikes and all that fun stuff and he said that at first but then he goes into some situational hitting, talking about how teams bunted a whole bunch in the playoffs, and that wasn't true at all. Um, and then, like, situational hitting and hit and runs and bunting is going to be an important part of this team. And that's a concern because, to your point, Nick, if that's who they turn around and start targeting and they do it in bulk, we're going to try and make a 2014-2015 Royals model, and we're going to end up with a 2021-2022 version of it instead because that's just not how the game's played right now you might like it you might hate it but it's like trying to play shoots and ladders while everyone else is playing chess and it's like it's it's not going to work in that instance so it's a combination of yes do you get the top end talent and but also two if you don't and you try more of a hey maybe a back end top 100 guy and then a bunch after that what is that bunch after that because there's a lot of guys in the top 100 that not necessarily everybody likes. They have different profiles. Not everyone is Jordan Lawler. And sometimes it, these guys make top 100s because they're really good at defense. Like, you don't want it to end up being one of those guys. I think to your point, absolutely. You know, I just I would just love to be a fly on the wall and know like if the dot like if the Dodgers have already just dis- like discussed players at the White Sox, like I'd love to know what those players are. Just when you base it on like what we got in the Lancelin and the Joe Kelly trades, because like if they're willing to give that up for that, I almost wonder what they would be willing to give up for Dylan Cease. And this is where it gets really interesting is like getting into a bidding war to find these types of players. You know, you can almost leverage that against other teams without telling them exactly what you're getting to see who's willing to just give up a little bit more. And that's, I just don't want to see it like rushed. I'm not saying we have to hold Cease to the deadline, even though like that's, that is a strategy. If I was a GM, I would probably use quite a bit just because I know how froggy teams get at the deadline, especially bad teams with good farm systems that think they're magically good. Um, I just think that you really using the Dodgers as a set piece and other teams in baseball are going to see what we got in previous trades with the Dodgers going to be like, man, are the Dodgers going to overpay for seats? Like, is this something where if we actually want this guy, we have to call the White Sox and actually, you know, not let them get off the phone. So I, we're really going to see, you know, Jordan, you made a really good point of it. We're really going to see what Chris gets is. 
I really don't want Pedro Grafal to have like any say so as to the players that we get in the Dylan Cease trade. And I feel like it would be, you know, organizational malpractice. You know, like certainly you can be like, hey, these are the guys we're going to probably get. What do you think? You know, your opinion is not going to change mine at all. But, you know, here, here, here's your two cents. You can't allow a guy who just had the first season that he did have any sort of insight on this type of trade. Cause if you're trading for Pedro guys that would work in Pedro Grafal's team, like what is, what does that even mean right now? Like we don't know what works on a Pedro Grafal team because I, I think we do though. And I think you've seen who the targets but, are. But does and it who work? No, that, but I, I think that's, the, that's I, what I mean. No. And I don't think it does either, but I think, you know, to answer that point, I think he's already very well involved like it or not. And I think you've seen it with, the names being rumored out there and the players that have been targeted in these trades and things they've said about defense and bunting and hitting and running, they've already displayed that Pedro Grafal has a large piece on this team, like it or not. My only concern there, too, to, to an earlier point of yours, Duke, teams that would be in positions to outbid teams like the Dodgers, like the Reds or the Orioles, are notorious prospect huggers, too. So how do you entice them to get into it? It is always the concern. I know everyone's just like, just let the Orioles do it. It makes so much sense. It's like, yes, it does. But they also don't trade guys like ever. Like if they were going to do it, they would have done it last trade deadline. Like they should be taking way better advantage of the fact that the Red Sox and Yankees stink right now. And they're just not. This is my moment. This is my moment where I'm going to bring up my sleeper team once again that I brought up on the last time we did an official podcast. The Phillies, baby. I'm going to Cardinals. Freaking farm. Oh, my God. If, if, all right. So if anybody saw that trade on Twitter that was projected of the Cardinals, like, okay, not that would... one, but like, I think the Cardinals make a ton of sense because they have a ton of position player depth that the White Sox don't have that they can't really do anything with. It's kind of like the Orioles of the National League, but it's always easier just to pay for guys, which is always the ultimate issue. I don't know if the Cardinals will. If we if we surround a trade, if we surround a trade around Lars Newbar, I'm going to jump into Lake Michigan. No, I don't know how good his defense is. I when I was making those trades, I'm like, how good are these guys defensively? I was not choosing guys because of bad defense. I'm like, this is antithetical to everything I believe in as I'm building this, and it was not fun. Dude, I just I just hate his name. <laughs> I just hate his name. He sounds like a Saturday morning freaking cartoon character villain. Genuinely. Like that sounds like a guy that like you hear Lars Newbars walking down the street like you are walking to the other side of the street like fuck, fuck got all that. a cape on or something I don't know <laughs> Nick give us some give us some sense here please no I mean I I think in terms of mystery teams those are actually some pretty good options I kind of like the Blue Jays as one just because I feel like they're kind of a sleeping giant and that they have a good roster and are kind of stuck right now and they have a they have a decent enough system where they they still have ammo so. That could be fun, but just overall, I mean, and kind of also kind of tying in the points you guys were saying about Pedro Grafal and, and everything, it kind of feels like, and maybe this trade, this cease trade will will answer the question. It kind of feels like not just Grafal has a lot of impact on the roster, but he also has a lot of impact on the minds of the people that run the team in that maybe they were always wired this way, but it's not just Marcus Timms. It's not just Chris Getz. Like, even Josh Barfield did that interview with Chuck Garfine a few weeks ago where he said something really similar about like, yeah, home runs are great, but in the playoffs, you have to bunt, you have to do this. You have to do that. like, you throw up all this stuff. Like doesn't really happen if you watch the playoffs. And it's like, I understand that's what Pedro likes and whatever, but at a certain point, I don't 
really believe that all these baseball executives, coaching staff, I can believe, but I don't really believe that all the executives who are presented with statistics, I would imagine on a more regular basis, still really believe all the stuff they say. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that Pedro Grafal is like brainwashing people. I'm just saying that <laughs> there's something fishy going on. That's all. There's something going on in Chicago, man. No, it's like, to, to your point, too, to, to back up it with stats, the only team that had more than one sack butt in the playoffs was the Diamondbacks. They had nine. Everyone else had one or fewer. Like, I, I don't know where this idea that teams started bunting in the playoffs came from. One did, and they got pretty far, but they also lost to the team that had a ton of home runs. So... I don't know what we're doing here. Right. And you could argue that they might have hurt themselves more than they helped themselves. But I remember watching some of the months live. And like, what are you doing? Like, this is a good hit or batting. Why are you making him bunt? But whatever. That's a different. That's they got question. brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, nothing surprises me. At the end of the day, this is the organization where our social media team the other day decided to celebrate Carlton Fisk when it came to the 1993 season in a year where they literally left him in Cleveland midseason and Jerry did not allow him to go in the clubhouse to say goodbye. But on that note, what a team, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have this week for the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcast. Also be sure to check out the website at Sox on 35th.com. Go read Jordan Lasky's articles as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sox on 35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We will be back sometime. Um, whenever they trade C's, to be honest with you. That we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back eventually for all these, you know, zingers. Um, as we cover another uh, another week of White Sox baseball. Thank you, and go Sox, and thank you, Jason Benetti. Yeah, I'm crying on the inside about a lot of things happening now with the White Sox. Uh, go Sox. Dylan C's for Lars new bar incoming. Go Sox. <laughs>